are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert! No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Rush, which came out in 2013, and was directed by Ron Howard. It stars Chris Hemsworth, Daniel Bruhl, Olivia Wilde, Alexandra Maria Lara, Christian McKay, Pier Francesco Favino, David Calder, and Natalie Dormer. The genre would be sports drama. Hello. I think the racetrack telephoned ahead that I was coming. Hunt. James Hunt. So where does it hurt? I'd be happy to show you if you like. James can be a loose cannon. But in terms of raw talent, there is no better driver in the world. Who's that? It's Nicky Lauda. He's a genius setting up the cars. To be a champion, it takes more than just being quick. You're just a party guy. I heard about this thing with Nicky. Did he put his life on the line the day that it really matters? Nicky! Nicky Lauda, trapped in a searing inferno of 800 plus degrees. Talk to me, James. Don't go to men who are willing to kill themselves looking for normality. I feel responsible for what happened. You were equally responsible for getting me back in the car. More powerful than everything is the will to win. Rush, a Ron Howard film, rated R. Who knew that Ron Howard had this kind of movie in him? It never feels sentimental or cloying or safe. It just kicks ass, as only an engrossing sports drama about two fierce competitors can. And competition is the main focus of this story, based upon the real-life rivalry between two Formula One racers in the mid-70s. The Austrian Nicky Lauda, played by Daniel Bruhl, versus the British James Hunt, played by Chris Hemsworth. Lauda was cold and cerebral, while Hunt was brash and impetuous. These styles came through in both how they raced and lived their lives. And the race sequences are pretty spectacular. They're all pretty thrilling, showing clear geography of who's placing where. It often feels chaotic and scary, but we never have a doubt about what's going on. We're in the closing laps of this race. Here at Watkins Glen, they come down the hill. And Hunt's got a problem. Hunt pulls across to the left. Lauda goes ahead on his own. And just overall, Howard effectively presents a world that's both sexy and dangerous. There are two scenes set in hospitals, and they just could not be more different. One scene early on has a bruised Hunt, suggestively explaining his injuries to a nurse, played by Natalie Dormer, alone behind curtains, leading to a tryst between them right there while no one is looking. And the other extended sequence later on features Lauda, being painfully treated from some extensive burns in his lungs following a brutal racing accident. And yet they both work and both feel authentic within this world. And besides Howard, major props need to go to cinematographer Anthony Dodd-Mantle, who is very adept at maintaining that tricky visual balance in the same manner that he's done so expertly for other directors from Lars von Trier to Danny Boyle. Seriously, this guy's CV is damn impressive. He shot Slumdog Millionaire, Antichrist, and previous episode Dread within three years. Now, each of these movies is very different, but they're all visually stark. He really also just shoots in this movie these small, boxy F1 racers like they were chariots. And it's just hard to not get wrapped up in while watching them. And of course, none of this would work without top performances from both of our leads. Hemsworth is fun, engaging, and playing into his trademark charm while also showing us Hunt's narcissism bubbling up under the surface. Oh, come on, Nicky. You're in a Ferrari. I'm in a Hesketh. On equal terms, the way it was in Formula 3, I'd beat you and you know it. 
Never. You might win one race, maybe two, because you're aggressive. But in the long run, over the course of a season, no chance. Right. Why is that? Because to be a champion, it takes more than just being quick. It's the whole picture. Ah. You're just a charger at the party guy. <laughs> That's why everybody likes you. I try saying that and tell me you're not jealous. Why would I be jealous? Don't <laughs> think about it. All that affection, all those smiles, is a sign of their disrespect. Oh. They don't fear you. As compared to me. Yes, compared to you, whom no one likes. Right? Not even his own teammates. Right. Because I'm a serious guy. I go to bed early, I look mm. after myself, look after my car. Yes, you're very well behaved. Go to work, kick ass, and then after the race I go home. Instead of going to bars, you talk all this bullshit with all these assholes. The true standout performance actually comes from Daniel Bruhl as Nicky Lauda. His is the showier role in some ways, but also more challenging. He just nails the accent and generally prickly Eastern European demeanor of Lauda that makes him sort of likable and unlikable at the same time. He does a lot with just his eyes, even when covered with bandages or burn makeup or with those tubes shoved down his throat like in that hospital scene. It's an effective physical performance with just the right amount of grace notes to remind us that this is still a simple human being with simple wants. This also plays out nicely in a sequence when he meets the lady who'd become his wife, played by Alexandra Lara. As a driver, his M.O. is all about not doing anything flashy, which he makes clear to her up front. But Nikki just can't help but show off some fast-driving chops when she flirtatiously asks him to stop driving like an old man. Fun scene. We're not in a hurry. I'm not being paid. Right now, with zero incentive or reward, why would I drive fast? Because I'm asking you to. The strong overall chemistry between Hemsworth and Brule drives the film, pun intended, and it's hard not to be moved by how their stories intersect towards the end. When do you stop testing? Next week? Oh, what are you nuts? I didn't just win the biggest thing of my life so I could get right back to work. Why? You have to. To prove to all the people who will always say you just won it because... Because of what? Because of your accident. Jeez, Nicky, is that other people or is that you? I won. Okay, and the all-important day when it came down to it, we raced on equal terms, equally good cars. And I put my life on the line and I saw it through. And you call that winning? And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Now, Rush also features a rousing, propulsive score from Hans Zimmer. Heard of him? For a composer who's often been accused, sometimes justifiably in recent years, of recycling several of his own themes, the string-laden music that Zimmer composed for Rush is truly original and one of his best. And the highlight would have to be what most would consider to be this movie's main theme, even though we actually don't really hear it in its entirety until the final race between Hunt and Lauda in rain-soaked Tokyo. 
This one takes place not long after Lauda has first returned to racing, still recovering from his burn injuries. And it will basically be the deciding match to determine who wins the overall season. As the camera pans over a very wet and treacherous racetrack, the melancholy intro for the theme starts to kick in, with strings, as we then see our two main rivals briefly glance at each other from within their helmets. But then as the cars start revving their engines, the music really starts to pick up with heavy percussion and guitars as things kick off. Needless to say, this is very rousing music and one of Zimmer's most hummable. It's great for driving, biking, running, you name it. The theme is called Lost But One. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Then-future director Olivia Wilde, a previous episode Booksmart, she co-stars as Susie, a British model who Hemsworth's James Hunt meets early in the movie. And they both have kind of a wild child philosophy, so they really hit it off. God, it's so flimsy. There's something that costs so much. There's no comfort, no protection, nothing. No, it's just a little coffin, really. Surrounded by high-octane fuel in here, being driven around 170 miles per hour. To all intents and purposes, this thing's a bomb on wheels. You're James, aren't you? Yes. You fit the description. They have a whirlwind romance resulting in a pretty quick wedding, eventually resulting in a pretty quick divorce, not that long after. Well, at least as the movie presents it. Now, any regular listener of this podcast has heard me use this category often to criticize the cliched long-suffering girlfriend slash wife roles in movies like this and how thankless it could be for even the most talented actresses. And I have to say that in this case, with Wilde, it kind of is, even though each of the scenes that Olivia Wilde is given are quite well written. The thing is that you could tell off the bat, these two actors, they have really good chemistry. And even within the first scene that they meet, we push them right to the wedding. It just would have been nice to have maybe a couple of more scenes with these two, even during the rapid upticks and downturns of their relationship. Just could have used more Olivia Wilde, bottom line. Why have you come here, James? I've come to get you back. You don't want me back. You never wanted to be married in the first place. Yes, I did. Oh, come on, James. You did it because you hoped it might change you, settle you down, help with the racing. Uh, no, I, I didn't. And who knows, if it had been just the drinking, or the dope, or the infidelity, or the moods... Might even have worked. But when it's all of them... Yes, I know, I'm terrible. No, you're not terrible. You're just who you are at this point in your life. God help anyone who wants more. 
This brings me to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, as exciting as those racing sequences are, I have to circle back to that final scene in the airplane hangar. This is now several weeks after their last race against each other, which Hunt won after Lauda had forfeited because of the weather. It's the true culmination of their relationship between these two individuals, and for me, it's this encounter in the airplane hangar which takes this movie into masterclass status. You were prepared to die. To me, that's losing. Yes, I was. I admit it. I, I was prepared to die to beat you that day. And that's the effect you have on me. You'd pushed me that far, and it felt great. I mean, hell, isn't that what we're in this for? To stare death in the face and, and to cheat it? Come on, there's nobility in that. It's, it's like being knights. <laughs> you English, you're such assholes. Of course, there's some predictable back and forth between them, but also some clearly earned respect. Though we have to admit that I love Lauda's dismissive comment about the English. Now, some would dismiss the dialogue here as often too on the nose or even expositional. In essence, we get summations of each person's philosophy. But honestly, for me, it just works perfectly. Both actors are selling it as they have sold everything else leading up to this. You know, in the hospital, the toughest part of my treatment was the vacuum, pumping the shit out of my lungs. It was hell. And while doing it, I was watching television. You winning all my points. Your points. And then one day, the doctor came and said, Mr. Lauda, may I offer a piece of advice? Stop thinking of it as a curse to have been given an enemy in life. It can be a blessing, too. A wise man gets more from his enemies than a fool from his friends. And you know what? He was right. Now look at us. We're both a pair of kids when we met. Hot-headed jerks in Formula 3. Disowned by our families. Headed nowhere. And now we're both champions of the world. It's not bad, huh? No, it's not bad. So don't let me down now. I need you busting my balls. Get back to work. I will, Nicky, I will. But I intend to enjoy myself first. And it makes sense, because as you would expect from top-flight racers at this time, these were both very self-centered men, with relentless self-confidence. This also leads to a brief, tragic voiceover coda, closing out with real footage of both James Hunt and Nicky Lauda. Of course he didn't listen to me. For James, one world title was enough. He had proved what he needed to prove. To himself and anyone who doubted him. When I heard he died aged 45 of a heart attack, I wasn't surprised. I was just sad. People always think of us as rivals. But he was among the very few I liked. And even fewer that I respected. He remains the only person I envied. The final category is the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Peter Morgan, who would later create the Crown TV series, he wrote this, and he has shown a genuine knack for crafting entertaining screenplays revolving around two real-life figures and the love-hate relationship which develops between them. I'm talking about The Queen, The Last King of Scotland, and another film directed by Ron Howard, and another one of my favorites of his, Frost Nixon. Morgan has been criticized at times for sometimes twisting real-life events for dramatic purposes, most famously for Frost Nixon, which was actually adapted by his own play dramatizing slash fictionalizing the interviews between Richard Nixon and Dave Frost. We are gonna make those motherfuckers joke! But here's one smart thing about Peter Morgan as a writer. He chooses real-life figures who are generally larger than life. I mean, from the movies I mentioned, Idi Amin, Richard Nixon, James Hunt. These guys were big personalities, and he always gets at the core truth that drives them. 
Rush has scenes which are clearly dramatizations of instances that might not have been this clearly drawn in real life with regards to Hunt and Lauda. But they all work very effectively, not only because of Morgan's sharp writing, but because they are in the assured populist hands of director Ron. Look at him. That's my brother, goddammit. Howard. That's a line from Backdraft. I generally enjoy Ron Howard's films, but they're sometimes too damn feel-good to stick the landing, too sentimental at times. Even highly entertaining films of his, like Parenthood or The Paper, they've gone from edgy sharp in the first act to super cheesy slash maudlin by the time the end credits roll. But they're also full-blown American stories about Americans, directed by Mr. All-American Opie Taylor slash Richie Cunningham himself. I'm of course referring to two All-American characters who Ron Howard played himself on TV. That's always been his persona and his image as both a director and an actor. However, you partner Ron Howard with a UK writer known for biting wit with European protagonists in a more European setting, and what results is a perfect blend. He makes seemingly antisocial characters more relatable, and he also takes the ins and outs of down-and-dirty Formula One racing, making them so much more palatable. I don't know, it's just a unique bit of alchemy with these two when you bring them together. And we would also see this play out with Frost Nixon, which is their other collaboration and a film that I also love and I'll be reviewing later this year. It's hard to explain just how well they complement each other as director and writer, but regardless, Ron Howard and Peter Morgan are your co-MVPs. These are both complex uh, and, uh, and they're anti-heroes in some way too. And uh, neither of them is a traditional square-jawed figure of righteousness um so <laughs> thank god uh, well uh, you know uh, and that and that has made you know when ron showed the script to a couple of his hollywood writer friends um they found that an issue didn't they well they were worried for me they said who, who are you rooting for who's the villain who's the, who are you gonna who are you gonna side with as the director and i said i'm not siding with either one uh, i'm siding with both of them and i i think that this is um a survival story which is a different kind of, about two very complex people. And your shifting allegiance might make you a little bit un, uncomfortable from time to time, but that's part of the tension. My rating for Rush would be five stars out of five. <laughs> Definitely one of the more rewatchable films of the past decade. This film more than lives up to its title. Happy 10th anniversary to one of the better sports movies of recent years as well. And if you're looking to watch Rush, it is currently streaming on Netflix. And that ends another Driven Review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.